Donald, to let Buckner go down. The, no, the nose area now is starting to bleed again on Buckner's part. Joe trying to get it away. If you can knock him down, you are not saved by the bell. And there is no three knockdown rule. A man in London can go down six or seven times. And if he comes back to his feet, and now it is Joe Frazier who appeared to buckle a little bit. And Buckner came back with a right hand. Did he slip or was he hurt? Did Frazier walk into a right hand? Now the trainer comes in. Now the referee separates and nobody heard the bell here in Iran, Ted, including myself, as they continue to fight. Now, what happened to Joe Frazier? Was he hurt by that right hand? This is the first replay as Frazier comes in with that left hook right on the point of the jaw. Gone absolutely from the falling. Frazier comes away from him as Harry Gibbs comes in. At that point, it looked like Bunner was absolutely yeah, finished. Over in Joe Buckner's corner. They're working him over, talking to him, telling him, Joe Frazier was hurt near the end of that round when he tried to put you away. That was sensational. It looked as if the bell was never going to go. And Andy Smith, uh, Bunner's manager, the little fella, came running in the ring. So did young Durham as well. They were both looking pretty worried. The referee didn't hear the bell. We didn't hear it. Ringside, and certainly the fighters didn't. But now we're going to start round 11, and we've got two fighters to worry about. Joe Buckner's left. All righty. Welcome, everybody, to Zoots Boxing Talk. How's everybody doing out there? It is Thursday, March the 16th, 2017. My name is Anthony George, also known as Zoot. I will be your host for this evening. A little bit later on, we'll be talking to the commish, Randy Gordon. 1984 Olympic gold medalist Paul Gonzalez. And to start the show, it was scheduled to have Ron Essett, but we're having some difficulties getting uh, Ron on the line. So we're going to try and get that going. And uh, I wanted to come on the air to let everybody know what was going on since the last couple of shows. We've had audio difficulties to start the show. Everything seems to be going well with that. I'm having an issue with getting Ron on the phone, so I'm going to try and do that uh, momentarily, but uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, about what else is coming up, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the action uh, that is uh, happening uh, tomorrow. I'll be uh, at the theater at Madison Square Garden to cover the big St. Patrick's Day event, boxing in New York City and all of that. So uh, we'll try and scramble and get something uh, going for you if we can't get Ron on the line. But uh, I'm going to take another quick break and see what's going on, and maybe we could have Ron Essen on uh, after this. No, Cam, tell us at what point the fight is ended. But anyway, it is another knockout for Marvin Hagler. He scored 36 knockouts now in 47 fights. He's won 44, lost two with one draw, and it is. Here's the announcement. Unable to continue, the winner by a knockout in the seventh round, Marvis, Marvin Hagler. Marvin Hagler, and they have decided that the knockout was in the seventh round because the sixth now round has other. Hagler making fight. a speech up there. I can't hear what he's saying with the crowd yelling. Hagler's got the microphone, and he's making some speech. 
Hey, I'm the champion. Come on, you little power. I'm ready. I'm ready, you what you said for uh, television. I want Hugo Carl. I've been fighting all the best in the world right now. Now I know that I'm ready for Hugo Carl. Nobody has stopped Willie Warren. The man is tough. He fought Benny Briscoe, fought Seals, he fought Ed DeFormio. I can't figure how they get a shot with Ed DeFormio in there before me. But I'm looking for Hugo Carl because I believe the man's a sissy. And I'll tell it to his face if I can find him. The man's a sissy. That's what I have to say. I like to say thanks to all my fans who come down and to all my fans in New Jersey, my son in New Jersey, my grandmother, and to the rest of the world out there. I will be the next middleweight champion. Thank I'll you. tell you this much. You fought like a champion. You That's threw everything man. at him. He's tough. He's tough, as you Nobody know. Nobody knocked this man out. That's right. That. And you stopped him right there. That's right. Now. I wanted to put his lights out, though. Can you contain the frustration of not getting a title shot and oh, keep yeah. it going? Keep oh, it yeah. going for yourself. Oh, yeah. Till I get... Hugo Carl. That's my destiny. I wanted Valdez before the old man today. Ain't no reason why Valdez should have had a return match. <laughs> All right, we are uh, back, and this is probably the oddest uh, uh, beginning of a show that we've ever had. I just tried calling the number that Ron gave me that was his. And uh, first time I called, the gentleman who answered said it was the wrong number. And then I messaged Ron, and he told me I gave him the number I called. He said that was the number. I tried calling again, and the guy uh, threatened to report me <laughs> if I called that number again. I was like, I told you already, this is not the number. So I don't know what's going on. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely see. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm 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 out of gas here. So uh, again, sorry <laughs> for this. Uh, We'll see if we can get one of our guests on uh, later on uh, that was scheduled later a little earlier. And uh, if not, I'll uh, try and do my best improvisation until one of them can make it. But uh, that was certainly odd. Uh, gentleman threatened to report me if I called that number again. And he would report and be, <laughs> he would be reporting blog talk radio. Not my, uh, you know, he has no uh, idea who I am. So interesting. But uh, I don't know. Uh, something, something uh, every day with this block talk stuff, but uh, that's the uh, nature of a boxing podcast. Uh, so we'll be right back. Let's see if we can get. Uh, I'll see if I can try and get Randy on early. I'm gonna give him a call. But uh, once again, bear with me. Here's another break.
All righty, we are back. I'm uh, trying to see if I can get Randy Gordon to come on early. I'm waiting to hear back from him. But uh, while we're at it, uh, uh, strange is the currencies here with uh, Ron Essett. I'm not sure what's going on, but uh, I wanted to talk to Ron the Dragon Essett, uh, a formidable fighter in his day, a guy with a great decorated amateur background, professional background, um, a lot of tough fights, a lot of tough decisions, a uh, big draw with Doug DeWitt, uh, a, a war uh, that was on Tuesday night fights with Robbie Sims, uh, and a guy who was a frequent uh contributor of social media, a guy who's always uh, talking about boxing, still active, passionate uh, for the sports. Well, I'm not sure what's going on. I mean, I, I double-checked the number a gazillion times, and uh, I'm not calling again. That guy uh, threatened to report me, so <laughs> that's the end of that deal. And uh, you know, if you ever watched Ronnie Essett fight, he had one of the best one-twos you ever seen in boxing. That jab right hand of his was lethal. But uh, I'm not sure what's going on with that. So uh, as I wait to see, maybe uh, if Randy doesn't uh, uh, answer me back, maybe we can get Paul Gonzalez on, who's scheduled in the next segment soon. But um, while we're waiting, we'll talk a little bit about what uh, went down on uh, yesterday's show. We had a great panel, Steve Cunningham, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, Jeff Bumpus, John Responte, uh, talking and breaking down the big middleweight fight between uh, uh, Triple G and Danny Jacobs. And uh, a lot of it, and if you look at it all over the social media, uh, a lot of people are giving Jacobs no chance. A lot of people think Jacobs is going to win. Uh, our panel was split. Uh, Steve and Eddie uh, had a team uh, Jacobs, although Steve was a little less convincing. He said a tough, hard fight where he's going to earn a split decision, Jacobs. Which, you know, with the crowd, he you know, that was one of his intangibles. You know, he's going to have the crowd on his side. Will that influence the judges and all of that? Uh, Jeff and uh, John, uh, like uh, Triple G in a stoppage, I kind of like, if I if Triple G is going to win, that's the kind of fight I think uh, he will win. I, I think that uh, uh, people, are, some people who are, are so excuse me evaluating this fight and on the side of Jacobs winning I, I think is looking at it the wrong way where they think he could outbox and stay away from Triple G uh, and uh, win like that win with the jab and all, all, all that kind of stuff uh, I mean I think if Jacobs is going to win he's going to inflict hurt on uh, Triple G the same way uh, Brooke did and he's a much bigger puncher than Brooke. I think that's his wild card. I think that's the thing that uh, people are overlooking with Jacobs. Everybody knows about the bludgeoning power of Triple uh, G, but Triple G punishes you, as we were talking about, and as uh, Steve Cunningham uh, reiterated last night, he punishes you. He breaks you down. Danny has a right hand that comes out of nowhere, and uh, you don't often don't see it coming. Just hex Peter Quillen, and it could be a game changer. And uh, I think that's his best chance. And then, uh, you know, Triple G, the other factor is, can this Triple G fight backing up? Now, I've seen virtually every one of uh, Golovkin's fights, and he is a much better boxer than what people give him uh, credit for. He can work off of the jab. He can uh, be defensive when needed. The David Lemieux fight is the most recent example 
of that, but I'm not so sure he could fight backing up. Uh, and he has, he's never had to, so uh, it'd be interesting to see if Jacobs can inflict that. Jacobs is the bigger guy here, I think. If you look at them, he looks like a, a bigger guy. I think he's going to be the guy that's going to be a little heavier the day of the fight. I think he is going to be the stronger guy, uh, although, you know, Triple G's got the that mystical power. But uh, if you look, Danny looks like the, the physically stronger guy. So uh, we'll see about that. I'm not hearing anything from uh, uh, Randy. So we'll see if we can get Paul uh, Gonzalez on and uh, we'll uh, go from there. But uh, I'm not sure what happened with <laughs> Mr. Essett, but... Uh, uh, actually, it kind of would be funny if I call that guy over the air and had you all hear it. But uh, he might, you know, then he would wind up reporting Block Talk Radio. So I don't know if I should go there or not. But uh, let me see. Uh, I'm actually going to try and message uh, Paul now and see if he could come on out. I'm not going to call him right yet. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's it. I'm looking forward to uh, attending the fights tomorrow night. Uh, Tiafimo Lopez, uh, who was on the air with us last week, will be fighting. And I, I was able to locate uh, his fights on uh, YouTube, too. Both of his fights are on YouTube, and he, he certainly is very impressive. I mean, if you heard the show, if you heard him and his father uh, talk. I mean, he, he, I mean, if you look at him, his skills, his poise, uh, his uh, ring IQ, all of that stuff is way beyond his years. I think they said he's only 19 years old. So, uh, you know, that's uh, something to, to keep an eye on. This will be his third professional fight. You wonder, uh, and you know, they're jumping him up in rounds quickly. And, you know, top rank, they appear to know that they have a gem and they usually move guys along well. They move guys along maybe in a slower fashion than us boxing fans would uh, like. Where I remember back in the day when Gary Russell was uh, still under the top rank uh, umbrella. And Andy Ruiz is another perfect example where you see this skill and you want to see them tested. And top rank is not going to rush and put their guy, their gems in a bad fight for us. You know, it will come. And we saw Ruiz in action and uh, gave himself, uh, gave a good account of himself against uh, Parker and clearly his uh, biggest step up to date. And obviously Gary Russell had a, a, no longer with top rank, but uh, had a, had a, had a setback and now is a world champion and uh, he's doing quite well as well. So, uh, a year from now, will we see uh, Lopez fighting 10-rounders? It's quite possible. Quite possible. So uh, I'm waiting to hear from either. Let's see who bites first, Paul or uh, Randy. We'll see uh, who uh, can save the day and come on the show a little earlier. I mean, we're getting close to uh, Paul Gonzalez's segment anyway. So, uh, I mean, I didn't want to go here, but the, the other thing that's all over – the news is the Mayweather uh, Conor McGregor fight. I'm not really interested in covering it too much or talking about it too much, but there's been 
as is the case with a lot of our combat sports on social media, uh, an opinion for everybody. Uh, Max Boxing has an interesting article uh, up about it. Uh, they're, they're kind of a different perspective. Uh, you know, I, it's, to me, it's like, you know, Mayweather's coming out of retirement just to fight McGregor. I mean, he's been telling us he's done, he's not interested. And he wants to develop fighters. He's passionate about his company, about moving talent along. But yet somehow he's only interested in Conor McGregor. I think his exact words were, this is the only fight that makes sense to me. And I just don't can't, other than the fact that he knows it's going to make a killing, uh, I don't understand you know, the logic of that. And Hasn't this guy made enough money off of his fans? <laughs> I mean, he's still, you know, he's a promoter now. He, you know, the money he's made, I mean, he would have to really be reckless to uh, lose the kind, I mean, the kind of money he has. Most people can never spend. And uh, he's definitely uh, somebody who's not in, in danger of losing his fortune. So, I mean, and and this fight is going to cost the fans a fortune. I mean, how about giving something back to the fans? And, you know, why is this fight? I mean, you really think Conor McGregor is a challenge for you as a boxing match? But Errol Spence, Keith Thurman, and the like are not? You have a hard time explaining that one to me, Floyd. And uh, I understand, you know, you're... Greatest of all time in terms of the money making, that's for sure. I, I don't want to get into the debate about who's the best of all time in terms of skill. Uh, you know, certainly there are those who think you are. Uh, I, you know, I personally don't, but I certainly think you are one of the greatest uh, of your time. And uh, I think your skills were revolutionary. But uh, in terms of uh, this here, I mean, you know, you're far and above everybody and what the money you've made, but uh, I'm kind of, I don't understand how this is the only fight that makes sense for you. I mean, this, you know, first of all, you maybe you don't give a damn about this because, again, it's giving back to the fans, but you're prolonging your induction into the International Boxing Hall of Fame for coming out of the hall, for coming out of retirement for this nonsense. You know, so you can, you know, you know, and that that's a day for the fans, for the fans to get together, to get up close and personal with you, for you to give back. It's a weekend where you're not going to be making any money, but the fans have access to you, and you're prolonging that for a fight. You know, you have no damn chance of losing. Why? Because you can make a ton of money. All right, I salute, but it's not cool that this is the only fight that you get off your ass and give to the fans for. I mean, you could fight any of those other guys, and it would be a pay-per-view anyway. I mean, heaven forbid you don't fight on pay-per-view. I mean, that was your goal all along. I mean, when you were not a draw, when you were not a pay-per-view fighter, you were fighting guys like the Giant or whatever that guy's name is <laughs> in wrestling. Andre the Giant's kid, I forget his name, On in WrestleMania. And you, and you were promoting WrestleMania on Friday Night Fights. Because no, at that time, you were not a pay-per-view guy in, in the world of boxing. So I get it. You've always wanted the pay-per-view lore. And you've had it, and you did it better than anybody. But now why this? Why Conor McGregor? I mean, Conor McGregor's not even considered unbeatable at his own sport. He's lost. That's always used to be a thing for you. That was the excuse why you didn't want to fight Pacquiao for so long. He's lost. 
this guy has losses and he's not even close to you in your in, in this sport. But yet this is the only fight that makes sense to you. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. And, and to equate it to Muhammad Ali fighting Antonio Inoki or whoever it is. I mean, he's fought right or whatever. I mean, that's ridiculous too. Muhammad Ali never came close to making a kind of bread that Mayweather made. I don't know. Well, nobody's answering me. So, Randy told me he can't make it right now. So, uh, that's it for him. I'm going to see. I'm going to take a break and call Paul directly and see what do we got to lose i mean i'm tired of hearing myself <laughs> yap about mayweather so uh let's see if we could get that going i'm gonna call paul gonzalez maybe we could get him on a little earlier so here you go what can i play for you I play just about everything on my switchboard uh if not what i could do is i'll play the replay of the ivan Baranchik interview that's pretty good. So if I can't get anybody on, that, that, that'll fill some time until these guys are supposed to come on. So right after this, we'll be back. One week before the fight, Foster is seen here training. This could be Bob's toughest title defense in the four years that he's been World Light Heavyweight Champion. Foster won the title with a spectacular one-punch KO over Dick Tiger in New York City four years ago. Since winning the title, Bob has remained very active. He has had 17 fights since becoming the champion and has stayed in virtual constant training. Many experts attribute Bob's crushing power to the way he snaps his punches in whip-like fashion. This will be the eighth title defense for the 30-year-old Foster, who tonight will go against a younger opponent, 25-year-old WBA light heavyweight champion, Vincente Rondon. Let's watch Bob go through some of his training routine as he prepares for a tough 15-round title defense. And now the night of the fight. Here's the challenger, Vincente Rondon, warming up. He's a two-to-one underdog this evening, in spite of his impressive ring record. Rondon is a native of Venezuela, and many of his fans are seen carrying their country's flag. As the fighters get last-minute instructions, the huge crowd is on the edge of their seats. Both of these men are recognized as light heavyweight champions in various parts of the world. And tonight, the issue is going to be settled. Champion Bob Foster is in the blue trunk, and challenger Vincente Rondon is in red. Venezuela's Rondon began boxing professionally seven years ago, in 1965, when he knocked out Jose Carballo in the third round in Caracas. Since then, Rondon has had 42 professional bouts, 21 of which he has ended by knockout. Foster going right out after Vincente Rondon here in round one. All righty, welcome back to Zoots Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you a sweet science straight up, no twists. 
And uh, I was able to get in uh, touch with Paul. So without further ado, Paul Gonzalez, 1984 Olympic gold medalist, light light flyweight division. Uh, as a professional, he had 16 wins, four losses, and uh, very, very glad that he could give us some of his time. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, thank you very much. But uh, you know what? That's, uh, that's 20 and four <laughs> as a pro. Twenty and sixteen. Four. I know they have it down there on the on the on the books, but it's twenty and four. I remember how many noggins I got. <laughs> ah, that's but, good. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So have you? Uh, how come they they have that error on the on the records? Uh, have you ever tried to fix I don't it? Know. Well, I told them to fix it, but um, I don't know what happened. It was um because they have that on uh, what was it on one of the cards, one of the kill cards or something like that. Ah, well, I'm, I yeah. actually know somebody yeah, from uh, BoxRec. I actually know somebody from uh, BoxRec, and I uh, was able to change Doug DeWitt's name. They had his, oh, I okay. forgot what his name is, and he, he went in an uproar because they had his original name as, uh, I forget, it was an Italian name. He's like, that's not my name. That's not my name. Change that, change that. And like, yeah. I, so, but, <laughs> but, so I was able to contact yeah. the person I know from BoxRec, and he, and he took it down. So I'll, I'll see if... Uh, if assuming he's still working for Boxer, Boxer has had some right. uh, issues themselves lately. But uh, thank you for clearing that up. But uh, right, yeah, no problem. Because they got me with uh, some last guy, so I said, "Oh man, okay, whatever." But let's talk, hey. man. Let's talk boxing. What's happening? There you go. That's what we want to talk is boxing. So let, let let's go back a little bit, uh, Paul, and, and take us back to the origins of how you got drawn to the the sport of boxing. When did you discover it? How long ago was that? Oh man, I was just I was just five years old. I got into it because um, just being a kid, I, I was growing up in tragic and fighting. My dad boxed when he was in the Marine Corps, and so you know I learned a little bit of boxing there and took martial arts as well. But I was um, when I was fighting um, full contact karate tournaments, I was guys out with my hands and out with my feet. So it was just something I was getting into. And one day I was fighting out in the streets in the park, the camp park, uh, you know, gang gang territory, as you call it. I was about what, eight years old, and this big old cop named Al Stanky uh, came in, broke up the fight, and uh, proposed a challenge to everybody. I ended up taking him up on his offer and snuck into the police department and started boxing. Snuck in, went downstairs to the basement. The air was pounding like crazy because uh, the gym they had was downstairs. And uh, there was a basement there. So I went there. It was a very small room. And I peeked in, and this officer named Officer Ray Mel, uh, Joseph Ray Mel, was there. And he saw me looking in, and he called me over because he was, he was working with this kid on the heavy bag. And I looked in, and he called my name. He called me, get over here, get over here. I went over there. I put the gloves on me and fell in love with him. Are you on a speakerphone, Paul? I'm having a little trouble hearing you. You broke okay, up a little uh, bit. I don't know if that's my end or okay. yours. It's probably my end. I'm on a golf course right now. <laughs> ah, there you go. The life of luxury. Well, I'm, I'm not only punching heavy bags, I'm hitting balls. Ah, okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, all right. So, uh, I mean, obviously, your amateur career, very decorative so talk about your uh, foray into the amateurs and uh, take us all all the way up to your, your uh, uh making the 1984 the historic 1984 olympic team uh, 
Now I can't hear you at all. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, you can hear me. Okay, it was, yes, it was, I, uh, it was I can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay. It was interesting. I had a, I had to fight a lot of different tournaments, and uh, you know, to try to make the scene, and it seemed like um, some of the people that were that were trying to work with us, uh, it just appeared like they were trying to get me beat. You know, I mean, or get me disqualified. I'm losing you again, Paul. No, I can't hear you. No, I can't. I can't hear you, Paul. Now there you go. There you go. Now you're good now. Now I lost you again. This is some show, huh, folks? <laughs> you're going in and out. Uh, it's very hard. Okay. No. What's going on in that golf course? <laughs> All right, how's that? A little better, but still faint. Okay. Uh, that, that was perfect, but then, then it, I don't know what you do. It changes. That's good. Okay. And now we lost it again. I don't know what happened. I can hear uh, you when you say you can you hear me. And then, see, then after that, try and take one yeah, sentence. Yeah, see how it works. Yeah. Okay, you got it. All right. Uh, oh, okay, you got it. When I was a, a kid, fighting on the street for, you know, fighting. And, uh, this big old cop, Al Stanky, came in, woke up the fight. Are you walking while you're talking? I think that's what the issue is. Okay, I'm standing still right now. Yeah, when you're standing still, oh, yeah. you come in perfect. You come in really well when you're standing still. Okay, I'm standing still. That's good. How's that? That's good. Okay. And now it's not good. Huh? <laughs> I I don't know. Yeah, have a landline. A landline probably would have been perfect. Yeah, uh, the, this is not working. I can barely understand you. I can only understand when you say, you, "Can you hear me?" Then after that, it's not. <laughs> it's boggling. Uh, the lesson here, folks, is to only do one boxing show a week. I should have stuck with last night's. Uh, <laughs> we we were good. Uh, yeah, Paul. Paul, I don't know. I don't think this is working. I, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. When you, I could. Yeah, that was perfect. We're, let's get that. Okay. Let's see if we can get that going. Alf Stanky, I think okay, you said. You got all right, good. Yeah. He's like a police officer for all he's seen. No, that's not good anymore. We, we, don't, get, we, we, don't, we don't get much uh, 
you don't have a long shelf life there, whatever it is you're doing. Uh, you're perfect, and then uh, we can't hear you. Yeah, it, it, it's wherever you are, it's not working. Uh, so, I mean, I don't okay, know well, it, it if anybody's out. even still listening. <laughs> we're, 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 they're, they're probably getting fed you up. You want to try me next week? Yeah, let's talk again off the air and see if we can resume this at another time when uh, we get uh, a clearer reception. Because you do have a uh, you yeah, know, yeah. parts of what I heard sound very good, but uh, it just it's, it's inconsistent with the audio. I can't hear you. But before we do let you go, let's see if we can muster up a prediction for Triple G versus Danny Jacobs Saturday. Let's see if we get uh, get uh, that on record. Uh, Triple G, yeah, Triple G should uh, should be victorious. Uh, you know, he's gonna be a good counter puncher, and I, I uh, I'm going for Triple G on this one. Well, Triple G must be a miracle worker because everything he just said was very clear. <laughs> <laughs> Not that, last okay. that that came in great. So maybe we could get some more out of you. Talk a little bit about uh, your Olympic stuff. Uh, so maybe maybe we'll stay with this a little longer because that was great. Right. No, not a problem. You know, like I said, with, with with the Olympics, you know, it was like like not that far away from where I was living at. You know, I was in the projects, Lisa Village Housing Projects, and uh, the Los Angeles Sports Arena was just probably like ten miles away. So you know, uh, I told everybody I'm gonna come to the, I'm coming home with a gold medal around my neck and a limousine, a white limousine, and uh, that's why I'm coming back to the project life. And that's how I did it when I when I won my gold medal, you know, because uh, I definitely wasn't gonna lose, no way, no way, because uh, that was just a bus ride, <laughs> and I was not looking to take a bus back home or nothing. So All right. it, was a, it was a great experience, you know. Um, you know, we had I had the whole community behind me, and uh, everybody that you know that that knew me when I was a kid, and I kept telling them I was going to go to the Olympics and win me a gold medal. You know, yeah, of course there were some that didn't believe me, that doubted me, but you know, I turned a lot of non-believers into believers, and you know, it was like miracle in East LA is what it was. All right, good stuff so, there. And uh, th- I mean, that Olympic team was historic. Talk a little bit about your teammates, what the dynamic was as an Olympic team. I mean, last year I, I did not approach you, but I saw you at the Boxing Hall of Fame weekend, and I saw you interact with Perno Whitaker, meeting up with him again. Uh, talk a little bit about your teammates and working with that great uh, 1984 Olympic team. Uh, it was a it was a great team, you know. We all supported each other. Uh, we all, you know, were there at everyone's fight when we when we fought. Uh, so we we had a great camaraderie among everyone, you know, on the team, and we were like brothers. We still are to this day. We have um, we have reunions. Sometimes we'll have it every year or every two years, three years, something like that. Um, we had one not too long ago up in Atlanta, and. Um, then when I saw you, I guess when I was up at Castillo, I was talking with uh, Pernell. We were talking about, you know, probably doing another another reunion. It's fun. And, uh, you know, me and Henry Tillman out of L.A., you know, we keep in touch all the time. Uh, we do different functions for each other. You know, he has a program going on. He calls me. I come out and help him out, vice versa as well. And, uh, you know, my other teammates, Mark Green, whenever I go up to New York, I give him a call. Call her. We go out and party, you know. Have a good time. And Jerry Page and... Uh, Pernell, uh, Pernell, Melody Taylor, 
you know, Melvin Taylor, that guy, he, he, he's beautiful, man. He's got, he's into the scriptures, and, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a preacher. Now we, now we got to call the kid the preacher. <laughs> he's a kid preacher, so he's good. And uh, so, you know, yeah, we, we, we're having a good time. And the good thing is, is that we all come together. All all uh, 11 of us, you know, of course, um, um, Steve McCory is no longer with us, but we bring his brother along with us, you know, Meldrick. We invite him out, you know, to take um, um, Stevie's place. You know, so uh, we, we include him as well. So all it's, right. a great, it's a great team, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, very tight-knit group, and uh, you are uh... – Last year at the International Boxing Hall of Fame, they uh, paid tribute to the 1976 Olympic team. And uh, I know one day soon they'll do the same for the 84 team. Uh, But there's often comparisons about the 1976 versus the 1984 Olympic team. Uh, As a member of the team, uh, talk a little bit about, compare yourself to the 76 team. Uh, Where do you think your strengths are compared to theirs, and where do you think they're, what areas were they stronger? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, well, we were were strong because they did a comparison from the 76 and uh, 84 team, and we came out on top still, you know. We uh, they they matched us against um, the 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 team of '76, you know, and you know we came up on top. Still, we still came victorious, and I think what what, what brought us all together, including '76, is that we were a close knit team. Um, you know, we talked to each other, we knew each other well, so we knew what we had to tell each other when we were out there boxing, and we were all stayed and focused on one thing. We were there to do one thing, that's to win a gold medal, nothing else. We didn't go there for no silver or bronze. We went there to win gold. And we kept pumping each other up. Uh, the 84 Olympic team, you know, my team, like I said, if you saw us, you know that we were like a family. And maybe the same thing contributed to uh, the 76 Olympic team as well. You know, even though they were out there in Montreal fighting and everything that was going on out there, you know, it probably brought them all together, brought them close. And they knew that they had to do something uh, something spectacular, and they did. They all won gold medals. They were winning gold medals, five gold medals. You know, the Speed Brothers, right. you know, Howard Davis Jr., you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, just they had a great team. They had a good team. I just uh, always told everybody we had a better team. And I'm <laughs> yeah. not being biased, okay? <laughs> I'm not oh, being no, biased, but I always told everyone uh, that, okay? <laughs> I hear you. There's a lot of people who share your sentiment, but what about the fact that uh, Russia did not compete uh, against you guys? Uh, there was a lot made of that at the time. How much did it bother you that they did not show up? Uh, I mean, obviously you had to go out about your own business anyway, but uh, were you really yeah. looking forward to competing with them, and was it a letdown that they weren't there? No, not at all, because, um, you know, I fought uh, Shamil Shibarov, the 1980 Olympic gold medalist from Russia, and beat him. I beat him in, uh, I think I beat him in, uh, in in Russia when we went to Russia to fight them. And mm-hmm. we fought them in, I think we fought them in January. And then after that, we had the World Championships, which was held at the L.A. Sports Arena. Okay, well, we had the Olympics, and I fought a Cuban, the Cuban that was going to represent Cuba, and I beat him. And mostly all, everyone on my team, we did the exact thing. We beat the Cuban. You know, Xander uh, mm-hmm. beat, beat his Cuban fight. Um, right. Now beat the guy that he fought, Horta, um, Henry Tillman. 
you know, so we we had a lot of guys that we, you know we came out we came out on top even with the Cubans. So really, yeah, maybe that's uh, why they didn't show up. Just, they, they knew they were in for. Yeah, that's right. They were afraid. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they were afraid. You know, Fidel told them, "Don't show up, guys. You're gonna only embarrass yourself." So that's why we uh, came out victorious. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good, uh, uh, good point there. And uh, what about the state of the Olympics now in terms of the the United States? The men really not uh, producing the, the fantastic uh, teams in terms of winning the medals like, uh, you know, your team did in 76 and even uh, uh, and the 88 Olympic team was formidable. Uh, why do you think uh, the Olympics in, for the USA, uh, for the men's especially, ha- has gone down? You know what? Um, I, I have to look at it. This is my, this is my opinion. Only my other people might have a different view on it, but I think what 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 it is is today's fight. Today's boxers, okay, they're getting ready for the Olympics. You know, they're looking ahead. You know, they got these promoters that are coming out there, already signing them to a contract, which they're not supposed to do anyway because that's totally against the law. But still, they do it anyway, and um, they tie them up. And what happens is they're they're preaching these guys that you know. You guys can win a world title and all this other stuff. They're not looking at the gold medal, you know, because these guys are got that money in their on their mind, you know, and they got they're seeing all the bling bling out there that they're giving them. So these guys aren't really focused on it. They're they're basically out there just um, trying to see what they can do, you know. I mean, the way I look at it is, I say, in order to get the bling bling, you got to win gold, gold or silver. We're gonna get you the bling, but you know, the thing is, a lot of these guys are just looking ahead. They're looking to turn professionals and not really concentrating on winning the gold. And um, I think that's where a lot of them are losing sight. And that's why our team hasn't done that great. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I've been, I was at the, I was at the, what, uh, 92 Olympics, 96, you know, and um, I was watching them and, and then uh, the ones that I've seen on TV, I was like, wow, you know, it's, uh, it's not it's not helping the sport. It's really hurting it. But the thing is, is, is now they're, they're trying to come out with uh, this new idea where they're going to have professionals who only have a few fights, you know, to still compete in the Olympics. And then, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's, totally, that's totally ludicrous to me because the thing is, is that mm-hmm. if you turn pro to make a, a professional living, how are you going to resort back to, to becoming an amateur again? It's, it's, it's crazy. That's crazy, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know what these guys are all thinking about. Really, tell you the truth, it is it is boxing is becoming a circus now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of criticism on, on that end of it. But you talked about winning the bling, and you did, uh, 1984 gold medalist, uh, light flyweight. Uh, once that ends, what's life like for you uh, after that? Promoters coming after you, contracts, managers, people obviously uh, know you are trying to, to seek you out. Can can you take us back in time to that period once the Olympics uh, ended uh, and your aspirations to become a professional? Uh, take us through some of the things that happened to you uh, in, in terms of people trying to lure you in under their umbrella. Oh yeah, they, you know they they all try to lure you in and try to get you to sign a contract and 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 try to get you away from your people that are handling you, your managers and stuff like that to get them get you by yourself. The thing with me is I have my 
and my trainer, he was a cop. <laughs> you know? So he was basically protecting me from signing a, a contract with everybody. And also, don't forget, in, in the Olympics, I, I was uh, voted the outstanding boxer uh, of the Olympic Games. And not only that, but I had to take about uh, close to about a year off because I had to have hand surgery. I had uh, busted mm-hmm. my hand in the Olympics. I had a, a messed up shoulder, hyperextended elbow, dislocated shoulder, broken toe. I was, I shouldn't have even been there, but I was there, and uh, I had to get healed. And I took about uh, about nine months to a year off, and then I made my first professional fight on August 11, 1986. No, 1985. Yeah, right after the games. 85. Jose Torres in uh, in California. Take us through that moment. What was that like? Big transition from amateur uh, to pro, or did it come naturally? You know, I, I think it was just a natural. It wasn't – I was already ready for the pros. You know, I trained and, and worked out with a lot of pros as I was a, as an amateur. I worked out with a lot of world champions. My first fight should have been for the world title. That's what we were looking for, but, you know – they offered us, uh, CBS came on, signed a contract. They offered Jose Pugatores, who had just gotten back from Europe, knocking out uh, the world champion, Charlie Magri. And so, you know, that was a little nerve-wracking, but I fought him. Uh, we, we went six rounds. I gave him a spanking, and it was great. <laughs> you know, I just uh, outboxed him. And uh, uh, that, was, that was a great experience because I was scared as could be. You know, it's a big mm-hmm. transition when your walk is – you're walking down that aisle and, you know, you're basically on your own. You don't have a team, you know, behind you or anything like that. Just the people that are with you, that work with you and train with you. But uh, it, it's different. It was a different uh, different atmosphere. But, um, you know, it was it was, it was was a good one. You know, because the thing is, is now it, it was just about you. And the team is you and the, and the people that are around you. And you're trying to do your best just to make them shine as well. Yeah, and uh, as you moved on to the professionals, uh, I mean, you faced one, in my opinion, one of the greatest fighters ever in uh, Orlando Canizales. First person to beat Orlando. Yeah. You, you fought him twice. Take us through those fights. Yeah, the first time I gave him a, I gave him a spanking, you know. And uh, it was like, you know, I, when, they, when they put him up against me, you know, he had more fights than I did. Uh, I was a little nervous because, you know, I, I seen Hernando because we used to see each other when we used to train at the training camp, you know, we used to work out. And uh, so I found the first time, and first time I gave him a spike, and we fought in um, in Lake Tahoe, which was neutral territories for us. And um, he was going after my title, and, uh, you know, I just uh, defended my title against him. Uh, I spanked him for 12 rounds. And, I, you know, I, in, those, in that fight, I thought he was going to quit because it looked like he wanted to stop. You know, because it was very hot. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he went on and um, Jesse Reed kept pushing him out there, pushing him out there. You know, when he didn't want to come out, he didn't want to come out, come on. He was getting spanked. And so the second time they called me to, um, about, you know, I, the second time for the fight, I turned that fight down three times before I finally said, yeah, I'll take it. The reason why being is because, they wanted us to fight in Texas. I wanted to fight somewhere the neutral ground. They didn't want it. They didn't want to do it. They kept telling me, "No, let's, let's do it in Texas." I said, "No, I don't want to do it then. I don't want to fight them." And then uh, people were telling me, "Hey, man, don't worry about it. It's gonna be on 
television or you know you're not gonna get robbed out there or nothing like that. I said, all right, well you know what? All right, let's fight. We'll take it. I'll take it then. So we fought. It was um, probably one of my first fights. I fought without my trainer Al Sankey, and uh, it was it was different. I had um I had Alberto Alberto Davila, former world champion, working my corner, and uh, and also uh, the great Chuck Bodak. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in that fight, you know, the first round came out. They put us in a they put me in a bull ring. Okay, they put me in a fifteen by fifteen ring, and San Antonio, Texas, okay, and uh, Orlando comes out. I call him Bumpers, by the way, because he butts the head. You know, he butts the heck out of me. So he came out first round, and first round I got cut. You know, came in with his head, threw an overhand right, and we we exchanged punches. When we pulled back from each other, I was bleeding. I was already cut. I already told the referee, "Hey, I got butted," and. uh he looked at it. Uh, he said, oh, it's leading a lot. And I had one of the greatest cut men in my corner, Chuck Bodak. And he didn't let him stop it. So I come out for the second one, the second round. Yeah, the bell rang. I went to my corner. Come out of the second round. First punches we exchanged. Referee Barry Yates jumped in and stopped the fight. And that fight should have been an no contest or a draw. How are you going to get a victory? You know, how are you going to get a victory? I'll tell you how. Get your line Gonzalez against Paul Gonzalez. That's how. So they ruled, they, 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 ruled a cut, uh, they ruled you a cut by a punch when it should have been a butt. Yeah, it was a headbutt. Unintentional headbutt, uh, as they call it. Right. But uh, I even told Barry Yates before the fight began, I said, watch out for his head. You know, watch out for his head. I'm not in this game today to get butted. And uh, that's what happened. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I maybe mean, I probably wouldn't have gotten butted, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you were too much of a clairvoyant. You were too much of a clairvoyant for that. <laughs> you know, when I see Kenneth Dollars, I, you know, I tease him. I say, "Let's do it again, baby." What happened to my rematch? <laughs> I gave you yours. Where's mine? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, so that, that would have been a nice one. Then. Nice trilogy. Uh, was there? Did you ever come close to, to getting a third fight? Uh, was it ever in no, the cards? They, no, they never wanted to fight me. He wanted to get that fight, and he got it in Texas, just like he wanted, you know. And uh, that was the only way he was going to be able to beat me. And you know, I, I basically told him that. I told him, you know, Jesse Reed knows. You know, I talk a lot, but I back up what I talk about. Okay. Yeah. You know? And uh, I'm just like. Hey, Jesse, how come you guys didn't fight me? And Jesse said, yeah, the fight should have happened again, but unfortunately it didn't happen. Maybe Abercrombie didn't want it to happen. I don't know. Hmm. But, uh, you know, they gave him the victory. It's okay. But he knows he knows who's the true champion. Because <laughs> uh, whenever I see him, you know, I let him know. I let him know who's the champ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you have that under your belt for all time. You gave him the first loss and perhaps one of the most lopsided losses that he's ever had in in his career. So, uh yeah, definitely absolutely. definitely the yeah, oh, that's that second fight with Orlando aside ball. Uh is there one fight that if you could go back in time and, and take it back and do it over. Can can you identify a, a fight of such nature where, if you had to redo, uh, you would do it? Is is there a fight on your record that uh, fits that ilk? You know, um, 
uh, you know, besides the Canizales fight, uh, you know, I, I think a, a, another fight because I fought this fight. I was both my fights in Texas, and and I fought this one this one guy in in Texas named Ray Medell, and uh, fought for the US USBA title, his title, and I fought him in uh, San Antonio again in Texas, right? So um, I would love to, I would love to dance with him again and just spank him. But you know, the thing is, I got I got uh, you know I got the decision against me. He ended up beating me on on the decision, which I didn't think it was his victory. But uh, you know, what 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 can I say? We're gonna fight in their hometown. You either gotta knock him out or kill him. <laughs> That's yeah, the way you're gonna get the decision. Yeah, you got the wrong. <laughs> Wrong end, I like to say the wrong end of a close decision, and that's what happened in that fight. Uh, but well, yeah. what about how you approached uh, training? Because we, we always hear fighters uh, say this is the best camp they ever have. So if they say that for every fight, how could it possibly uh, be true? I mean, is there one fight yeah. uh, in particular that you could identify where going in, you know you weren't at your best, uh, but you, you had to go through with it anyway? Oh yeah, I, I've been there. I've been there, absolutely. You know, um, uh, when you're doing a fight and uh, you just know that, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't want to fight. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel it. You know, you're not feeling. And uh, I had a little bit of that. I had a little bit of that when I was going to fight Gonzalez the second time in Texas. And um, the, the reason being is because you know I felt like all the cards were against me. Anyway. You know, and I was just like, man, I don't need to be here. But I went through it, and you know, I still felt that I had a good opportunity to beat them, but they didn't just—they didn't give it. To, they didn't let it happen. They didn't let yeah. it happen. And a little over the year, at least this is what the record says. A little over a year after the uh, the Conor fight, you had your last fight as a professional, Abner. Barajas, you won a ten-round decision, and then and that was your last fight. What? No, that what wasn't my last fight. <laughs> All right, so so clear, <laughs> clear, clear, clear the area, because uh, the the, the record okay. obviously is false. When was your last fight, and why was it your last fight? Is more thing I really. My last fight was my last fight was in um, uh, what was it July nineteen? Uh, was it nineteen ninety four? And that was at the uh, at the Marriott Hotel in Irvine. Mm-hmm. I fought. Um, I'm not exactly sure the name of the guy that I fought, but that was uh, that was practically my last fight. I went ten rounds with uh, with this one cat, and uh, it was a good fight. The guy was a short guy, just throwing bombs, you know. And I was just boxing. I was my timing was off, and I was just trying to get my my modem back together again, you know, and just getting it, but. My mojo wasn't there, and but it it made it a tough fight because uh you know I, I was like wow what's going on my timing was off everything was off it was just it was just a fight there. I was like but I should have just stayed home but I won the fight I won a ten round decision and um, after that fight I just really thought about it and I said yeah I don't need to embarrass myself this way so I uh, called it on August 11th. You know, August 11, 1994, I just hung up my gloves. And that was one of the saddest days in my career. And uh, what was life like immediately after that, the first few years 
of retirement, um, possibly the toughest. How, how did you deal with it? How did you ease into life of not being a professional fighter anymore? Well, that, that was kind of hard because I was still training. Like I was still getting ready for a fight. I was still working out. I worked out for probably about a good two, three years after I retired. Uh, it was tough. But what made it easy and an easy transition is I ended up becoming a spokesperson for Dare America. Um, Chief Glenn Levant, Glenn Levant um, um, spoke to me after I retired, and he said, you know, he, he asked me to join the team of Dare America and be a spokesperson for them. So I did that internationally for them. And uh, going around talking to kids, talking to them about staying off the drugs and, uh, you know, going to school, getting their education, and uh, just, you know, doing everything that was positive, as I'm still doing today. You know, even as old as I am, I'm still a role model for these kids <laughs> in some yeah. degree. Yeah, you know, I mean, so, uh, um, you still have the, the, the name recognition, and, yeah, I mean, it, it, using it in a positive way. Right, right. Yeah, I still I still go to to different schools, colleges and high schools and, and, and elementary schools, and I talk to kids. And also um, the United States Olympic Committee has started, uh, or Southern California uh, Olympians have started a Ready, Set, Go program where we go out and talk to kids in the high schools to motivate them, get them ready for their uh, their physical fitness exams that they're having in order for them to graduate they need to to complete one of their physical fitness um the physical fitness grant once they pass it they don't have to worry about taking it during their senior year but if they don't pass it you know they'll end up taking it for the senior year instead of taking an elective they'll end up taking uh physical education so All that's right. who we're out there promoting to keep them active because there's you know Today's society, there's a lot of kids that are very obese. We got a lot of kids that are 15, 16, 17 years old that are becoming borderline diabetics. A lot of them are just sitting in front of the TV playing their uh, their their games, you know, and it's, it's, it's terrible. I remember what happened to back in the days where we used to be outside playing all night, you know, and now these kids are just in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but... That's what we uh, see that going on. And what about the young kids who want to get into boxing? I mean, uh, the amateurs, I'm told a lot, is even more corrupt than, and the dirty business than the <laughs> professionals. Uh, how are young people who are getting into uh, into the game? How, I mean, you seem to be in good hands throughout your career. Uh, how can they protect themselves uh, from, the, from the ugly side? of? Uh, first, first, let's start with the amateurs, and then uh, if they want to turn pro. Well, yeah, you know, with the amateurs, basically, uh, it, it's kind of hard. Um, you got a lot of uh, a lot of these um, promoters that are enticing these kids, you know, to want to turn pro with them when they become old enough or when they win a championship, a big championship, that will get them in line for the Olympics and so forth. You have these um, promoters out there that are catering to these youngsters, you know, buying them cars, um, giving them per diem money, and um, – um, Different other different other things, but the the thing here is that they, they don't have a contract with the kid; they have the contract with their parents, because you know, like again, like I said, it's illegal for them to have a, a signed contract with an amateur kid. 
He's not mm-hmm. professional. Mm-hmm. So, then, you know, there's a lot of legality that, that, that goes into that, you know. But whatever it is, it's just the fact that a lot of these kids are losing the sight of, of what the Olympics are there for. You know, now um, when they turn professional, um, you know, they already got all kind of uh, uh, things for them that they're not even hungry anymore, even as pros, because they, they got everything handed to them. It's like they feel like they don't need to work that hard anymore. It's a shame. It's a shame, but, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good fighters out there. And, and you know, with the Olympics that are going to be coming around again, hopefully we get them here in Los Angeles. And if we do, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Well, what about on the professional scene? Who are some of the young fighters that you admire or, or just uh, maybe veteran fighters, active fighters today that you uh, – uh, think are, uh, you know, really at the top of their game? Well, you know what? Um, the only ones that really stand out right now is like um, like Triple G, you know, and um, uh, some of the other fighters that are out there uh, that are going to be fighting them. Triple G stands out, you know, because he's a, he's, a, he's a two-time gold medalist and, and also world champion. And then you have, um, what's his name? Um, oh, my God. Um, um, oh, Forgetting his name, I'm going blank on these guys. That's one shot too many. I got, I got to watch that one. Um, it was. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of the other guy from uh, Russia as well. Um, Chris. Um, oh my God. Uh, about Kovalev. Shekno or something like that. Who? Not Sergey Kovalev. Uh, no, no, Kovalev. Yeah, Kovalev is good. He's strong. He's a strong fighter, and. You know they got a strong team. A lot of them have been trained by, by American trainers. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, Triple G is being trained by, by um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Abel Sanchez. Um, Abel Sanchez, yes. Right. And um, you know, so you know, I I went up to his training camp to go see him. You know, with Abel Sanchez, and he, he Triple G looking looking I, sharp. I think the other fighter you were trying sharp. to talk about was Lomachenko. Salome yeah, Momochenko, there you go. Momochenko, yeah. yeah. There you go. All, all these foreign names, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, Momochenko, he's, he's a strong fighter. He's good. He's good. And, and you know, he's 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 going to be around for a while. He's going to be around for a while. And, you know, we'll see what, what else he can possess because he's also uh, an Olympic gold medalist. And supposedly he's had, like, only one loss as an amateur. And as a pro, I, I think he has one loss as a pro as well, right? Right, yeah. Something like and that. So, 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 you know, yeah. he lost, yeah. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some good fighters out there. You know, they they uh, they need to get back into the to 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 the real kind of science of boxing, you know, where it drew people in and, and they don't want to see a fight. You know, a lot of these guys are just running or just trying to duck. They're not trying to fight the top guys they're trying to fight guys that you know okay he's ranked number 27,000 I'll fight him you know the guys fight fight them fight the fight the ones that are that are there quit quit ducking the ones that are number one number two ranking or, or number three ranking for that matter even the top 10 contenders aren't getting a shot at the at the world title because the, the champion don't want to fight them so it, it's difficult right. now nowadays they're picking and choosing. And the guy that did the great job was Mayweather. Mayweather worked the system to the T. I applaud the man. He did a great job. You know, he uh, 
He he ran the system the way he wanted it to run. He fought who he wanted to fight. Okay, and and man, he did a great job. He did a great job. And him and uh, Pacquiao, man, they did the biggest con game in boxing. Yeah, hey, what yeah. Can the con of the century, <laughs> not the fight of the century. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, that's yeah. not even fight of the century. But <laughs> what can you say? The con of the, the con of the century is how I C O N. Oh yeah, the con of the century, absolutely. Not a mere con, the C O N con. No. Yeah. Oh my God, you're absolutely right. I'm right with you on that one. Uh, but uh, uh, great talking to you, Paul. We're approaching the end of our, our segment. We're going to have Randy Gordon on in a little bit. Uh, will you be at the Boxing Hall of Fame again this June? Um, probably so. It's in June. So, yeah, maybe so. We'll see what happens. You know, if, if so, if I definitely want to. I'll be there. Yeah. If, it, if so, I definitely want to meet you. Know? you. We'll keep in touch. Uh because uh, you were, I saw you a couple of times there, uh, but uh, you were you were amongst. Uh, you actually were walking around with Livingston Bramble at the card show, and uh, I just didn't want. Okay. You know, I didn't want to walk up to you and bother you, but there there was this one gentleman who was uh, seeking you out because he had a glove with all Olympic gold medalists, and he was like, "Where's Paul? Paul Gonzalez was here." He's like, "Yeah, but I don't know where he is now." And he's like, "Oh, I gotta, right. you know, I gotta find him." So I don't know if he ever found you to sign the glove, but uh, you know, <laughs> if, if you know, I, I didn't feel comfortable uh, approaching you because you, you know, you were. You were doing your thing, and uh, but now that I know you, uh, well, if you if you're there, I'll be there. And hey, definitely. Uh, yeah, no uh, worries. You know, whenever, whenever you want to approach me, approach me. No problem. I'm I'm good. Yeah. I'm friendly. <laughs> yeah, and I and I've had Livingston on the show a couple of times too. He's a great interview as well. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah. So if, if, yeah. if, if the fighters aren't in the setting where they're sitting down and expecting the fans to come up to them, I, I usually don't like to approach them. But uh, now that I know you, right. it's fair game. <laughs> yeah, please come on up and bother me. No problem. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, definitely. No uh, definitely. Uh, Paul Gonzalez, uh, anything else? Here? Now's the time for some uh, closing remarks. Anything else you want the fans to know about you? Uh, any social media? I don't know if you're active on social media. Anything like that? Any closing remarks? Uh, now's the time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And I am now convinced yeah. Trip, Triple G is going to win because the minute you said, the minute you made your pick prediction on Triple G is when you sounded crystal clear and we lost our audio problems. So that's it. It's done for me. <laughs> Everybody who's listening, put right. the house on Triple G. You can't lose. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. You know. He's a he's a focused fighter and um he he's gonna get the job done. Not a problem. All righty, thank you, sir, and you have the good rest of your evening. Paul Gonzalez, nineteen eighty four Olympic gold medalist, light flyweight. And uh we'll talk again soon. And uh with that I think he's gone. So uh we'll take a quick break. Randy Gordon is set to come on in a few. So, again, this is more breaks in this show than uh, in a a few shows. But uh, we've got a nice, cohesive interview from uh, Mr. Gonzalez, so I'm happy about that. So uh, let's go once again to uh, a break, and uh, we'll be back with Mr. Randy Gordon.
fighter. Maselli, a professional for two years, has a devastating left hook. Fulmer batters Maselli to the canvas here in round one. Maselli takes the mandatory count. Now it's Fulmer trying to finish it quickly. Maselli, a very tired boy. Customer, as an All righty, everybody. Welcome back to Zoot's Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you a sweet science straight up with no twist. And our next guest is no stranger to Zoot's Boxing Talk, old and reliable himself, the everything man in boxing, former editor of Ring Magazine, former New York State Athletic Commissioner, has uh, been a boxing commentator and still puts that hat on uh, every now and then, and is a regular host of Sirius XM at the fights. And uh, there's so many other things that this man has done in boxing that we just don't have uh, that much time to say because then we'll never get to him. I could talk about his accomplishments all night, but I'd rather talk to him, the commish, Randy Gordon. How you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great. Nobody gives me better uh, intros than you do, so thanks so much for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, Randy, before we get into anything, as somebody who uh, hosts a boxing show and it's you know predicated a lot on getting guests, let me explain to you what happened to me earlier and see if you have anything similar like this happen to you. I've been in communication through Facebook with Ronnie Essett to come on the show this week, about a, you know, a little over a week. And we've talked a couple of times on Facebook and uh, talked about, you know, what I expected, what, what we were going to talk about on the show. I talked to him earlier this afternoon and uh, we were all good to go. Show starts. I call gentleman answers. I ask for Ron. He says, wrong number. All right. About five, six minutes before the show, I send Ron a message through Facebook and tell him, and I'm like, is, is this the right number? He's like, yeah, that's the right number. I'm like, well, I called it, and the person said it was the wrong number. So I try calling it again, and then the same gentleman answers. I ask for Ron Essett again. He starts yelling at me. I told you no already, and if you call again, I'm going to report you. And Ron never, Ron never answers me back after that. So I've been had somehow. I've been had. I don't know. Ron Essett's a regular on Facebook. He's in a lot of our, a lot of uh, fight groups. So I, I don't know what's up with that. But uh, uh, as somebody who does this for a living, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that uh, crazy story? Wow. I mean, I've never had anything as crazy as that happen. I mean, I've had fighters who either were supposed to call us on Sirius or we were going to call them. Um, and they forgot, you know, it's whatever time we're going to, okay, we're calling you at 6.15. Well, at 6.15, um, they're out with their kid, they're playing baseball, or they're at dinner, whatever, they completely right, forgot. Right. I totally get it. But yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never had anything. And I happen to be a friend of Ron Essett as well on, um, on Facebook, and there are sometimes he writes things, I got to tell you, that are a little bit out there. I mean, 
you know, he had a hard career. Um, he fought some real tough guys. I, yeah, I remember him no. fighting Chris Eubank Sr. And um, he's, um, there were some other pretty names in there. Uh, he fought and he beat, I know, Sanderline Williams. Yeah, Robbie um, Sims, Doug DeWitt. He's fought a lot of big names, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he had a long career. And it went on because I remember I was announcing for the USA Network. And I was the editor-in-chief of actually just leaving, I think, Ring Magazine when um, Ron turned pro. But he fought for 13, 14 years as a professional and um, you know, had about 35, 40 fights. And you don't know what, what – sometimes these fights do more damage than you would – you know, you never want to see anybody get damaged. Yeah, but, yeah. You just don't know. You just yeah. don't know. Well, everything's a learning experience. Now I know I never to schedule a guest without personally talking to them on the phone prior. I didn't do that, and uh, that's what happened. So uh, maybe if I tried calling them personally instead of just talking to them through messages, uh, I would have discovered that earlier. But uh, anyway, here we are, Randy, and uh, we have a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss going on with you, as always, and a lot going on in the boxing world. But uh, allow me, if I will, to start on somewhat of a negative note, because I'm dying to get your opinion on this uh, as somebody who was a former commissioner. Now, a lot has been said about the Thurman Garcia fight. I've heard a lot of people uh, say things such as it being a really bad fight to it being a really good fight. Uh, and I'm more towards the really good fight. But I wanted to talk to you about the scoring. Uh, in particular, uh, the, the judge who, uh, Kevin Morgan, who scored the fight for Garcia. I mean, most people have a hard time trying to figure out giving Garcia seven rounds while some of the rounds were close. I, I, I find that hard to believe watching the fight as I have several times. But John McKay, the guy who scored 116-112 for Thurman, did so, but gave Thurman rounds 11 and 12 to give him that scorecard, which I thought was kind of odd. Now, if you were still commissioner, what would you say to these two judges? Well, you know, you got to remember, as the commissioner putting – the livelihood of the fighters in their hands for this particular fight, for whatever fight it might be. And you've got to, you've got to say, I'm going to trust. I, I know who you guys are. So I know you're competent. And I do believe that you have not a dishonest bone in your body. And there's not going to be any kind of games being played here. So you're going to give me the score that you feel is indicative of what you're watching. And as I've come to learn, and as we all should learn, whenever there is a close round, really close, say to yourself, two of the judges are going to go one way on that. Another judge is going to go the opposite way. And if there's four of those rounds, five of those rounds, six of those rounds, 12 of those rounds, you're going to have a split decision. I would say eight out of ten times you're going to have a split decision. People think I'm like a magician at ringside when they're going to the scorecards. When I left that night, I was running out of the building because I, I had to catch a Long Island Railroad train. 
And it, the train was leaving right about the time the decision was announced. So I was running out at the final bell. Cooney and my producer said, how do you have it? I said, Thurman is going to win this one. It's going to be a split decision. And sure enough, that's what it was. And they asked me, especially my producer the next day, how did you know it was going to be a split decision? And just as I told you, whenever you have one close round after another, this round is competitive, that one's competitive, this one's competitive. Well, you're going to have a split decision. So that didn't shock me. And you know what? Had I been the commissioner... Um, I would have watched the fight probably 10 more times on Sunday. And then over the next week or so, I would have had uh, John McKay and Kevin Morgan and uh, Joe Pasquale come into the office and go over the scorecards individually with them. And I used to do that all the time. But uh, listen, it was a close fight. It was a competitive fight. Um, Even Danny Garcia agreed with the decision. Um, I mean, Angel Garcia didn't, but I just don't count him. He's he's such a nut job. But <laughs> we had we had many many callers, and 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 I would say the people who watched the fight and called the show, I would say that about thirty percent had Garcia winning. Right. And right. The, these are okay. These are fight fans. These guys know what they're watching. So how is it that 70% had Thurman and 30% had Garcia? Again, because as you're watching and it's a close round, two of three people are going to score one way. One is going to go the other way. It's going to be that, you know, it's been that way in boxing and it's going to be that way forever. Right, right. Yeah, I, I just think that the, the, the oddity of giving Thurman 11 and 12 to get the 116-112 is, is very peculiar. And uh, I would love to talk to Mr. McKay himself, you know, he's a respectable judge, no doubt. But uh, certainly odd. If you're calling Thurman the winner, you certainly would have found other rounds for him other than 11 and 12, which I thought were two of his weakest rounds in the fight other than round six. Um, I hear you. Um, but again, because of that human element, and I am not sure exactly what viewpoint he had for the fight and what he was watching in the 11th and 12th. Right. Because, and, and again, as, as I've always said, you'll have three judges, each one of them sitting on a separate side of the ring which means even though they're watching the same fight, they're watching the same fight from a different angle. One angle, you might be right spending much of your time with the fighters almost being in the middle of the fighter, what the referees call the open door. Mm -hmm. Another time, a guy might have his back to you for most of the round, and another time, um, one of the guys will have uh, be facing you. So you're going to be watching it from that angle. Um, you just don't, because it's, it's so subjective, you can't possibly have the same scores across the board. It's impossible. There's just no way that I have ever been able to figure out to do it other 
then get yourself three judges who you know are impeccably clean as far as their record. They're not going to be paid off to to score a close round for so-and-so. So let's say they are 100% honest. Now you need 100% competent. You need somebody who knows what they're watching and can tell you who won the fight. And if you have that, you have to be comfortable with the fact that there is going to be a split decision in a very, right. very close fight. And it doesn't mean, you know, I can't stand when there's a, a close decision, even a controversial decision. The next day it's, oh, there were funny games. It happened again. Um, well, every time there's a close fight, there's going to be a controversial decision. Like, because people will watch it and, and they'll jump on Facebook and say, what were those judges watching? The damn thing was fixed. And I know that I know that I watched that same fight and I totally don't agree with that person. I'm like, what is he talking about? Mm-hmm. So, again, when there is a close fight, expect it. If Gennady Golovkin and Danny Jacobs happens to go 12, which I can't see, right, right. and it's a competitive fight, both guys rocking each other, and, and I mean, the crowd is just on its feet throughout. You're going to see a close decision. Um, although in that fight, I, I definitely don't think judges are necessary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can only hope, Randy. And again, I, I hate to talk about uh, negatives, and I will again, and we've done this a couple of times uh, recently, uh, the passing of Lou Duva. And, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about uh, losing uh, people in the world of boxing. And uh, that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on last week, but you couldn't make it, was to discuss uh, the passing of Lou Dulder and uh, talk about what he meant to the world of boxing and talk about any personal stories you might have uh, with him if you can. Well, you know, I went to um, his funeral with my wife, we went to Jersey, and uh, the place was absolutely on, on Union Boulevard in Toto, New Jersey. The place was overflowing. Uh, Henry Haskup, the head of the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame, did his usual just great job. He's become the the eulogizer of the fight game um, because he does such a great, great job. And um, there really wasn't a dry eye in the place, and you know, Captain Lou Duva, who was about 95, uh, the last few years he was more or less inactive. But here's a guy who had a bad heart for most of his life. And his son Dino used to carry nitroglycerin pills with him. And whenever Lou lost his cool, which was all the time, uh, <laughs> Dino would pop one of those nitro pills. You, you remember the night of the the Bo Galata fight. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lou Duda actually passed out. Yeah, he was carried off on a stretcher, I remember. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. the the EMT workers almost dropped the stretcher. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was a crazy night, and it was probably at the top of the list. Yeah, but, you know, Lou Duda the best move he ever made because he had been toiling in boxing for years and years and years and years. And in the late seventies, he teamed up with Shelly Finkel 
And Shelly A had the absolute brains to be a fight manager, had the business savvy to get into the business and, and really know what he was doing. And see, he had the money uh, to back it all up. And then when Lou teamed with him, and they started signing one outstanding fighter after another. I mean, Shelley's first, uh, his first foray into boxing was with middleweight Alex Ramos, the Bronx bomber, who's going to be inducted into the New York State Hall of Fame April 30th. Um, from there, Shelley and Lou just took off because next in line for Finkel was the Golden Glove star, the amateur star, the Olympic star, Mark Breland. And after the 84 Olympics, the two of those guys, Duva and Finkel, wound up signing most of the good guys on the team from Breland and Evander Holyfield, Pernell Whitaker, Meldrick Taylor, um, Tyrell Biggs. Every one of those guys went to Finkel and Duva. Right, right. And, and you got to remember, even before that, um, they, they put together the uh, early ESPN shows at the Ice World in Totowa. And I am so fortunate that I was able to call many of those fights on ESPN with Sal Marciano. We used to sit there because they put just plywood over the ice, and our feet were freezing. We didn't even get into the uh, into the show yet, and our feet mm-hmm. were numb. <laughs> but we had to have the fighters stand in the middle of the ring, and they would have to take off their, their shirt and shadow box for us. So one day... Uh, Lou Duva said to one of the guys, hey, come on, you got to take your shirt off. And the fighter looked at him and said, Lou, you take your shirt off and get up in this freezing ring. I'm not. And, uh, you know, and this is before the fight card started. This is about two hours before. And I'm Mm -hmm. telling you, it had to be 40 degrees, if that. Mm. But once everybody passed the place, it probably went up to 50 or something. But it was cold in there. But Lou Duval was just an animated character. I was fortunate enough to have called the Sugar Ray Leonard-Donnie Lalonde fight. And on the undercard was Vinny Pazienza against Roger Mayweather. <laughs> and right after the, the fight and Mayweather was declared the winner, Lou Duva had been having some bad blood with Mayweather and jumped in the ring and, and went after Mayweather who then stood his ground and popped Lou with a right hand above the left eye and cut him. Cut him, knocked him down. Lou didn't stay down. He jumped right up and tore back into him, and it took half the the main event team to hold Lou Duva down. But he was fiery, and he he fought for his fighters in Mm -hmm. an English way. He was always Mm -hmm. battling with Don King, Bob Arum, and um, he was all for his fighters. Bobby Chess, Rocky Lockridge, Johnny Bumpus. Bumpus, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, Lou Duva there, he had uh, just a, a thing about him. I mean, that face will never be forgotten. He had a face <laughs> probably that, that belonged in boxing. Oh, yeah. And uh, really, he's going to be missed. He he did have an ego that I think was a little bit out of control. 
Um, one time I remember in Atlantic City, one of his fighters, James Hard Rock Green, was going, I think it was going into the 10th and final round. And he right. needed the early against Wilfred Scipion. Mm-hmm. And he was, I believe he was cut. And instead of Lou getting out of the ring and letting Ace Murata, the cut man, work on the cut, Lou insisted on staying in the ring and letting mm-hmm. his Ace over the ropes, which many of us got on him for. But right, right. He, in that fight, he didn't give Green the right advice and told him he's really got this fight, just be careful. And we all we heard this and we were looking at each other. What is he talking about? He's got this fight. Wilfred Scipion's winning this fight. And then after Scipion got the decision, Lou went ballistic as if they had just ripped his guy off when mm-hmm. in fact Hard Rock needed that tenth and final round to perhaps pull out a draw, but don't take the round off. So, I mean, Lou wasn't perfect, but then, you know, who is? He was very entertaining, and um, he was a real family guy. And um, he was almost never the same, though, after the death of his son, Dan Duva. He just lost yeah. a little bit of his edge. Um and, uh, you know, they're together now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about something fun. <laughs> Although hearing stories about Lou is fun. Uh, the big showdown, Saturday night, middleweight unification, uh, Triple G, Danny Jacobs, big punches, both. How do you see this fight going, Randy? Kind of like the Lemieux fight we saw the last week, um, David Lemieux and Curtis Stevens, they walked, the bell rang first round. They came out at each other. I don't expect Triple G to put that much pressure on to have that much offense in the first round. Um, and I'm not sure that Danny Jacobs is either. Um, I, I think he can box much better than we even know. I mean, one thing that bothers me about Danny Jacobs is, does he have the chin to withstand the power? Forget the fact that he got stopped by Dimitri Perot. At that time, he, the cancer that was inside of him was already growing. And he just wasn't the same fighter. That, that was close to 10 years ago. And he lost. That was his only loss. And Dimitri Perogas, we, we know, was undefeated. And I, I believe, I think an injury prevented him from going any further in his career. But then, then there was the cancer, and he stood up to it, and he beat it. He wasn't even supposed to walk. That's how severe the surgery was. And he did it. I had, I'm had. i really fortunate that I was able to call a couple of his fights on the PBC broadcast that we did with Sirius XM Radio, and one of the fights was against Caleb Truax. Right, where, right. Where Danny jumped off to an early lead and then became a little bit complacent, let Caleb back into the fight, and now it's around the 10th round, 
And Danny knows he's got to step on the gas because Caleb is, well, if not winning, keeping it real close. And who knows what could happen in the final three rounds. And that's when Danny, he showed me what he was made of. He, he just started stepping on it and just turning up the heat more and more and more. And he wound up stopping Truax in the 12th and final round. That mm-hmm. showed me a lot there. But, you know, another question I have is, how could he get knocked down by a Sergio Mora? Mm-hmm. That, to me, is that's very disturbing. Um, and he wasn't hurt. He walked into a shot, got, got clipped, went down, got up. But the fact is, I mean, if he gets hit with the same kind of shot by Triple G, who's arguably one of the hardest punching middleweights in decades, what's going to happen? But then on the other side of the story, has Triple G ever fought anybody who can box so well, who could punch so hard with both hands, and now is probably at the age of 30? I think Danny Jacobs just might be in his physical prime, and you're you're seeing, I think you're going to see on Saturday night, the best Danny Jacobs we've ever seen. And here it is, the bottom line in my book, and it has a lot to do with me coming from Brooklyn. Um, I'm going to go with Danny Jacobs. This is one of the few times in, in my life that I'm ever picking with my heart over my head. You know, if you said, okay, you got to bet your everything on this fight, I probably would go with Triple G. But I'm going to be silently rooting for Danny Jacobs on Saturday night. And I, I happen to love Triple G. I think he's so good for boxing. Right, right. He, uh, everything you, you can possibly want from a fighter, that's Triple G. There's just no trouble from him. He is he's a media joy. He does interviews, and he, he's uh, on camera. He's, he's just got this boyish face about him, and his whole youthful attitude, and he jokes with reporters. You can't say one negative thing about him. I just feel that some of the opposition he's fought would never have been able to last against Danny Jacobs. And I think Danny Jacobs, I think the first two rounds or so, you know what? The first round is going to be so instrumental in this fight. So will the referee, and I believe it's Charlie Fitch, the guy that you saw do the uh, Mew fight against Stevens. So Mm -hmm. Charlie Fitch is getting two big fights in a row a week apart. I mean, good for Charlie. Um, He's a a very decent ref. And um, I'm just hoping that you always have to think that when a referee goes in there, he knows the reputations of both fighters. And he certainly knows the reputation of, of Triple G because when Triple G first was seen on HBO up at the Turning Stone Casino several years ago, he fought a guy from Poland by the name, last name of Proxa. And Proxa was real tough. I don't think he had mm-hmm. ever been knocked down. And Triple G just basically beat him up. Charlie Fitch was the referee in that fight. So I expect that the referee is going to do a good job. 
But I'm hoping that if Danny Jacobs gets hurt, that Charlie won't jump in and quickly end it just because it's Triple G hurting him and he's a terrific finisher. This is going to be one fight, I think, where the trigger has to be pulled exactly at the right time. I, I, I don't want to see it go one punch too late, and I don't want to see it go one punch too early. So I think Charlie Fitch will be a real factor in the fight on Saturday night. Let's see what happens. But again, I am going to go on the massive upset with Danny Jacobs beating Triple G. Perhaps, you know, none of us can picture this with Triple G getting hurt and just can no longer keep up with the younger, maybe even stronger Danny Jacobs, and I see Jacobs stopping him around the ninth or tenth round in one massive upset. All righty, big big stuff there. Uh, bold prediction, and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, that. We're getting a lot. I've had quite a few people. I had a show last night. Uh, a lot of people calling on calling for Jacobs to win. So uh, should be fun Saturday wow. night. I, I know you'll be there, and uh, we'll definitely talk afterwards at some point. And uh, but uh, as the show's coming to an end, Randy, I wanted to get some uh, uh, other things going on with you. I know you, you're busy with your show and, and some other things. So anything else uh, you wanted to throw out there that that, that you want us to know about that uh, coming up with you? Now's the time. Yeah, every time I'm on, it seems like we talk about my book, Glove Affair, and. Uh, we have a literary agent who's uh, who took it, and they are running with it, and they have a few publishing companies. And probably by the next time I go on, I'm going to tell you uh, it's it's now in full heavy editing production, and it's going to be on its way. So the love affair is done and out of my life. <laughs> oh, that, that that's wonderful. It's been quite a long time, and uh, definitely looking forward to uh Crawling up with that book uh, it should be a, a great read. So, uh, uh, since you predict, made such a bold prediction uh, with the fight, when could we expect to be able to buy the book? Well, I'm hoping it's going to be out uh, for Christmas this year. It's March already, and if we get it into the publisher's hands very soon, uh, I think it can be done. And uh, it's uh, it's been a just. The year is off to an amazing start because um, I, I'll tell you this. Last weekend was my birthday, and on my birthday, my youngest daughter and her husband gave us a baby. Yes, yes, congratulations. So thank you. So I, on my birthday, you know, how many guys can say they got a granddaughter for a birthday present? Yeah, that's amazing. That's and, amazing. Yeah, so uh, you know, between the book and the and the the granddaughter, and uh, I got it last night. Um, Jerry Cooney and I taped a show that's going to be on Sirius XM um, at the fights tomorrow night with a bunch of the top journalists in boxing, um, TV and writing. We had George Willis from the New York Post, uh, Steve Farhood from Showtime. From the USA Today, I had Mike Coppinger, 
um, Lance Kogmeyer from the L.A. Times, uh, Thomas Gerbezi from Boxing Scene, and Marcos Villegas from uh, Fight Hub TV. And, I mean, we had the greatest two-hour roundtable discussion. I'm telling anybody who happens to have Sirius XM Radio on Friday night from 6 until 8 p.m., you got to catch the show at the fights on channel 93 because it was one of the most fun two hours we've ever done. And we go right from there. We taped an Irish special that's going to go from eight to 10. So we're on from six until 10 tomorrow night, first with the boxing round table, followed by the Irish special. All right. Sounds great. And, uh, we certainly uh, look forward to all of that, uh, and uh, we, we love hearing from you, hearing your stories. The show is great. Uh, often I don't get to listen live, which I hate because I can't call in, but I always listen uh, on demand because I am a, a serious yeah. subscriber, and it's a wonderful show. You and uh, Jerry have unbelievable chemistry and uh, great guests, and it's like really, you know, really a treat for uh, boxing fans, and I know the book will be as well. And I know you're going to be at the the Boxing Hall of Fame, so uh, uh, hopefully we can meet up there. I, I got rejected for the Triple G uh, <laughs> credentials, as I we spoke about off the air, so I'm not going to be able to see you then. But hopefully, the Boxing Hall of Fame will get to meet. Uh, we do have a caller on the line nine seven three. I'm not sure if they want to, if you want to speak. You have to uh, cue that up so I know you want to, or maybe you're just listening. But uh, as we're approaching the end here, Andy, we'll definitely always talk again. And uh, any, anything else you want us to know about what, what's going on? No, you know what? Anytime you do want to bring callers on, uh, that's great because I, I love when the callers always reach out to us on SiriusXM. So um, anytime you want to do that, that's great. I, I love um, talking to boxing fans. Um, I just want to say that um, I'm looking for just a big year. Jerry and I said uh, going into this year, this is going to be one of the biggest years boxing has ever had. And here we are only midway through March. And look at the fights we've been having. I mean, a couple of weeks ago with the Lemieux and, and Stevens. Now we've got Triple G this week. And, we, and we've had so many other big ones. You know, Leo Santa Cruz beating Frampton in a rematch. And just on and on and on. And we still, uh, April 29th, of course, got, got Anthony Joshua and Klitschko. Uh, and it, it's never-ending. And I think in a couple of weeks, we got maybe pound for pound the best fighter. Uh, Lomachenko is going to be fighting. And maybe the guy that's on, on my list, uh, Roman Gonzalez, he will be fighting also at the Garden. So, I mean, right, it's right. unending right now, the, the amount of great fights we're being given. Yeah, definitely, definitely a, a banner year so far, and I, 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 and I just anticipated getting better. Yeah, I mean, just look at this stuff. I mean, I'm going to put together, um, just to go over with, with everybody, how many great fights there have been so far. And again, we're only in mid-March. There, there's eight and a half months of the year to go, and the promise of so many more is coming up. And perhaps even the fight that I don't want to see, but I think everybody is going to be watching it. I think it is going to happen. Mayweather, Conor McGregor. Yeah, no, no. I, I, 
in the the filler that I had to do before uh, because of uh, that craziness, I uh, talked a little bit about that fight, and so I'm not, I'm not going to say anything else about it right now, Andy. But yeah, I think you're right. I think we are going to see it. Um, I don't want to see it. Yeah, I, I agree. Joke, they're going to be boxing, and I I really see Mayweather just having a field day, target practice with Conor McGregor. I don't care what kind of puncher McGregor is. I don't care how tough he is. Uh, I, don't, I don't care that he's showing tremendous boxing ability in the gym. He's going to be in there not doing his thing, which is MMA, and doing Mayweather's thing, which is boxing. It's, it just becomes a, a spectacle, a total event. It's all about making money for both of them. And Mayweather will make himself another $100 million. I could care less about this fight or whatever they call it. I agree. I, I totally agree. Uh, we're on the same page uh, there. And uh, we have so many other good fights to talk about. Uh, and I'm an MMA fan, as you are. And there's a lot of good MMA action coming our way as well. We don't need that. But... Uh, you know, as the times dictate, that we're probably going to get it, but uh, uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm not going to talk about that <laughs> much more yeah. in, if we don't have to. But uh, uh, Randy, a uh, pleasure as always. Enjoy the fights Saturday. Uh, listen, um, I'm not. I know I'm going to be listening to Sirius XM at the fights as I always do. Uh, I'll try calling in one day when I can actually listen to it live, but my schedule is usually I'm busy when you guys when you guys are on. But I always listen to it on demand, and it's great stuff. Glover well, Fair, so much. A Glover Fair, can't wait, and uh, looking forward to finally meeting you at the Boxing Hall of Fame this year. Let's get that done. Oh, I, I look forward to it after all the times on the phone. And let me just tell everybody that on Saturday night, from six o'clock until eight o'clock on Sirius. Jerry and I are going to be doing a special, a two-hour special, a pre-fight show, breaking down in its entirety um, some of the big fights on the card, including, of course, Triple G and Danny Jacobs and Roman Gonzalez um, and any of the other fights on the card. But it's a two-hour special, taking phone calls and everything, Saturday night, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM Rush 90. Three, so pre-fight special. Me and Jerry, six to eight. All right, looking for definitely be listening to that, and uh, we'll uh, catch up on, on all that other stuff later. Randy Gordon, the commish. Thank you again for coming on. Been a pleasure. Been my pleasure. Always love going on with you. Uh, enjoy the fights, and we'll speak real soon. All right, thank you, sir. Have a good rest of your evening. You too. Have a good one. All righty. So uh, as the show started off very rough, uh, we got some good information from Paul Gonzalez. A uh, good trip down memory lane there with, with him. And uh, the commission is always great as well. And uh, hopefully after bearing with that uh, calamity in the beginning, we got through another good show. Uh, next week will be our debut for uh, Zoot's MMA Talk. already have uh, a couple of prospects uh, coming on uh, in terms of uh, – guests i'm not going to reveal anything in until uh, we get closer to the show but remember if you're a fan of the show follow me on twitter at zoot 29 that's capital z lowercase u-t-e 29 uh if you have any questions or comments uh regarding the show email me at zoot's boxing talk at yahoo.com go to 
ringnews24.com, ringsoidreport.com, maxboxing.com for all your boxing fixes. And uh, as we close out, uh, again, a little punch drunk from uh, what happened earlier, but uh, as we get closer to the big fight, it's interesting to see how many people are predicting Jacobs, but as Randy said perfectly, I think it's more with their hearts than with their heads. That's not to say I don't think Jacobs could win, but I think it's unlikely he will win. But uh, if he wins, would I consider it a major upset? A mild upset. How about that? Let's go with that one. A mild upset. Uh, but, uh, you know, how if you, you know, as great a story as Jacobs is, Triple G's story to me is even more monumental in terms of what it means to boxing. Not the personal side of things, the cancer survivor stuff, all that. Can't compete with that. I get that. But the fact that this guy has not had a fight to go to distance since 2008, has, uh, I think, 16 title defenses right now of his middleweight title. So let's take those two things right there, two things that are a rarity in any damn era of boxing, but especially in this era where guys aren't interested in uh, fighting and defending the title. They're interested in fighting for various different titles. I mean, a lot of these guys today, they're not interested in defending their title. And Triple G is the guy that has been the fighting champion, has been defending against guys in the top 10. We heard Paul Gonzalez talk about how nobody wants to fight guys in the top 10 anymore. Uh, not Triple G, he's fought many. And what what does he get for it? Oh, he never fought anybody. That's his reward for it. So, I mean, Triple G is rare. Staying at the same weight, such as the great middleweights like Marvin Hagler and Carlos Monzon before, not interested in moving up with weight. And uh, all of a sudden, that's a bad thing. I mean, uh, you know, so fighting champion. Last time he's gone to distance, I wasn't even married yet. That's how long ago. George W. Bush was president of the United States last time this guy had to listen to a judge's scorecard. And yet somehow uh, people want to go out of their way to shit on him. I mean, and uh, class act all the way, never has a bad thing to say about any of his opponents. He doesn't need to sell himself as a trash talker, doesn't need to be fake, doesn't have any shtick. All his shtick is in his gloves and in his fighting style. And if you watch this guy, and I've watched pretty much every single fight that uh, is available on him, the guy knows how to box. The guy knows how to fight off the jab. Sometimes he gets bored and wants to take shots. Eh, maybe not the smartest thing in the world, but uh, hey, uh, he, he's always been in control as far as I know. I mean, the, with the exception of the last fight where Brook put some nice heavy stuff on him where he definitely felt that he definitely got marked up. Uh, and I think that's more about Brooke being a little bit better than we all want to think. And we'll find out, we'll find out about that once he fights Errol Spence, which I think is the gem of all gems. It's not getting as much play right now, but I think that fight's going to be beautiful because I think both of those guys are stellar and I'm just don't know. And book Brooke can, can 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 punch. You know, Brook can can find. He's a good offensive fighter, and we don't. There's been questions about Spence uh, against punches already. Not that Brook has a great knockout percentage, 
but the guy knows how to put punches together and fight in the pocket and land combinations. Uh, we know Spence is a great offensive fighter, but what does he do against another great offensive fighter who has a little bit something in his gloves, not not, not the light-punching Chris Algieri's of the world? So I think that's a toss-up fight. Uh, and, you know, so we'll, we'll definitely see. We'll definitely see. So we're coming to the close of this one. We'll be back on the air next week with uh, Zoot's MMA talk and Zoot's boxing talk. Uh, and obviously, we'll have a much, much, much talked about fight to talk about. I mean, I can't see this fight being boring. So Triple G Jacobs, Saturday night. Enjoy it. A lot of good MMA stuff coming up on the way, too. Until then, ring the bell. Raise the bell. And keep on punching. The teenage wedding and the old folks wished him well. You could see that Pierre did truly love the mademoiselle. And now the young monsieur and madame have rung the chapel bell. They love me to the